Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes podcast. My name is Matthew. And my name is Matteo. And together, we're diving deep into the history of Rome, from its founding to its death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way, and ranking them. Welcome to episode number 29, Octavian, part three. So, one little note to our listeners. This is Octavian, part three. I know it may feel like Octavian, infinity, but Matteo and I promise to wrap up Octavian in four parts. So part three and next week we'll finish with part four. Thank you for your patience. And we really hope that you have found Octavian's life as unbelievably captivating as we have. Right? Right. Trying to say it by myself. Right. All right. Just checking to see if you are awake, alert, and engaged. I'm awake, alert, and engaged. Okay, that's the way I like you. So let's recap where we ended last episode. In last episode, we ended up with 20-year-old Octavian having just joined the second triumvirate. And that second triumvirate consisted of... Mateo, do you recall? Uh, Brutus. Eh. No, actually I, actually, I can't recall. Okay. But, oh, Mark uh, Antony. Oh, yeah. Mark Antony. Him, obviously. Uh-huh. And then I actually can't, I can't recall the third one. Lepidus. Oh, so, Lepidus. Yep. It was, they met on November 23rd of 43 BC, somewhere around Bologna, and they established the Triumviri Republicae Constituendi, the three-man commission for restoring the constitution of the republic. Well, that sounds really good, right? Sounds Republican. Yeah, it sounds swell. So it sounds really good. And a few days later, the Senate passed a law making it official. So this is a little different than that first triumvirate, which this is all for the for the lights and cameras. Yeah, yeah, that's that's well played. This one was red carpet treatment, and each of these guys, Octavian, Antony, and Lepidus, they had real legal power. It wasn't just their 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 muscle. No, it was this was constitutional power. And in some sense, each of them had the power of Caesar. They were more like the dictator, you know, the kind of the ancient powers of like, dictator. Right. Right. But how far could you go with that power? Right? It was a little fuzzy. You had, you had, it seemed like almost infinite power, but what could you actually do with it? Right. What could the Senate do as well? More of their powers. Yeah, how could the Senate control these guys? So before we roll into what they did with uh, this unlimited power, Mateo, I'd like to hear from you. What do you think of Octavian so far, this 20-year-old Octavian? What's your impression of the guy? Um, so far, well, he's bold. You know, when he was raising the private ar- army and the, the Senate, uh, basically asked for control of it. He said, no, screw you guys. I raised this army. So he's he's shown uh, courage. Um, you know, he's been bold. He has got a good team around him. He's calculated, you know, he's, he's like the best prospect. Five stars. He's a five-star prospect. Yeah. Except perhaps on the field of battle. I haven't seen Yeah, much. his game. Yeah, you're right. His, yeah. 
So the military game is weak, but you know, I can't help but wonder. I wanted to I wanted to run this past you. I've been I was thinking about it as I was writing this episode. Here's a crazy fact. Crazy fact. We are about 140 years away from Scipio Africanus, right? It feels like we're much further away because we've had so many episodes uh, in between after Scipio. But right. back in the days of Scipio, and you've mentioned this to me as well. It's something that struck you. Back in the days of Scipio, Rome still had a noble foe, right? A noble enemy that brought out the best in them. Like back in episode right. 15, which was Scipio's episode, on the eve of the Third Punic War, when that guy Cato the Elder was preaching Carthago delenda est, Carthage must be destroyed, there was another senator, a guy by the name of Scipio Nasica. And remember, he thought that Rome would lose something if they lost that noble enemy. They would right, lose would... its, its unifying principle. It's humility as well. And it's humility, that's right. It was, in Latin, it was called a metis hostilis. It was this unifying fear of a con common enemy that made certain that all Romans and all great, in question mark, in, uh, in, uh, in quotes, all great Romans were all concentrated on the same objective. It wasn't what I can, right. what can I get out of this for me? It was, what can we get out of this for, for the greater good of Rome? Right. Yeah, he's he, and by the way, Nasica. What he said was Carthago servenda est. We we need to save Carthage. That's what he said. Right. In but he couldn't save Carthage. Carthage fell, and Rome lost right. his great, last great, really last great Mediterranean rival. Um, they would have rivals in the east, and we'll, we'll be talking about Persia for as long as we have this podcast. But in the meantime. After Carthage fell, Rome went from conquest to conquest, not just defeating their foes, but wiping their foes out. Nothing could stand before Rome. And so with no real external battles that mattered, uh, Rome started to find its battles within. And it became Roman against Roman and a quest for absolute power and absolute wealth. So 140 years away from Scipio, it feels like we're a thousand years away from Scipio, no? It really feels like another room right and the crazy thing is it's a rome that's infinitely more wealthy but all that wealth is accruing to the very tippity top of this the social pyramid right all the wealth increased the corruption yeah and so in some sense rome became greater than ever and in some ways smaller and meaner than ever because what it meant to be roman had deteriorated to the right. point where the Republic finally failed. The walls were hollow. Yeah. Yeah, the walls were beautiful from the outside, but yeah, hollow on the inside. So that's where we are. We're in this world of absolute wealth where violence knows no bounds and every man is in it for himself. For himself. So... And that brings us to the power trio, the second triumvirate. And I wanted to ask you a question. Would, wouldn't you agree that if you're given absolute power, it says a lot about a person with how you exercise it? Like, what do you, if I gave you absolute power, what's the first thing you would do? 
absolute power. Absolutely. Probably change, 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 uh, change it to four day work weeks. Mm. That's actually pretty modest. Yeah. That says a lot about you. That'd be cool. So that's like, <laughs> that would be cool. So it's like, okay, four day work week. I like that. Or some people might go out and buy infinite puppies or maybe take an incredible trip. Or if you're given absolute power, do you go on a bloody purge to wipe out everybody that's ever crossed you in your life? It's another alternative. Nah, that, that would never cross my mind, but now that you oh. bring it up. <laughs> well, it crossed the mind of these three. And when you think about the last hundred years or so of strong men that we've seen in Rome, what did they do? Gracchus got close to absolute power, or not absolute power, but got power. Uh, he killed people. You get Marius. He was super powerful. Marius liked purging his enemies and killing them. And we had Cinna. Cinna was also into purging and killing. Sulla, he resisted it at first, but he purged a little bit. Caesar was the odd duck in the group of Roman strongmen over the last century. He did not purge. We can't forget that. Caesar did not purge his political enemies. So what did the second triumvirate do? What do you think 20-year-old Octavian did? How many enemies could a 20-year-old have? Probably a lot. Yeah. His name. Well, how do you say purge in Latin? I looked this up. Purgare or purgare. And that's exactly what Octavian would do with his buddies. They started to purge. In fact, they went to the uh they went to the forum and they started putting up letters all around town. What do you think it's it? Uh bring these men in warm or cold that are alive. Wanted, a classic wanted poster. Yeah, it, th this is what the letter said. We actually know what it said. Marcus Lepidus, Marcus Antonius, and Octavius Caesar, mm -hmm. chosen by the people to set in order and regulate the Republic, do declare that had, no, had not perfidious traitors begged for mercy, and when they had obtained it, became enemies of their benefactors and conspired against them, neither would Gaius Caesar have been slain by those whom he saved nor should we have been insulted and declared public enemies. Now we prefer to anticipate our enemies rather than suffer at their hands. So, in other words, rather than waiting for people to cause us harm, we're just going to go out there and, and kill them. Right. He's declaring war on them, basically. Yeah, he is. He is declaring war on them. So this is straight out of Marius's playbook. They put up lists with about a thousand or so knights on the list. And they had about 300 senators on the list. And they went about methodically tracking these guys down. Some of them escaped. If they escaped, they just lost all of their property. Most of them didn't. And they were killed, literally, Mateo, like dogs in the street. You know, there was, there was a Roman named, a guy by the name of Velaeus Paterculus, who was writing in the early first century AD. So he lived through this purge by the second triumvirs. And this is what he said, and this really struck me. 
One thing, however, demands comment that toward the prescribed, in other words, the people that were on the list, their wives showed the greatest loyalty. Their freedmen, not a little. Their slaves, some. Their sons, none. Chilling, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah. So children in says a lot. Yeah. It says a lot about how the upper class was back then. It, it absolutely does. Uh, it really struck me. Anyways, some of the most distinguished names, Mateo, in the hallowed halls of the Senate wound up on the lists. These were not little guys. These were the big guys, including our old friend, Cicero. Really? Yeah. Actually, this is, did you see the, the full TV series of Rome, the HBO's Rome TV series? No, uh, no, I didn't. It's worth watching. It's really good. It's not completely historically accurate, but the scene where, where Cicero gets taken out is, is really good. Anyways, the question is, why did Cicero, because we just saw Cicero in the last episode, Cicero welcomed Octavian to Rome when he got there. They had a nice tea together. He's, he was singing Octavian's praises. So why now is he on the list? There's a couple of reasons. One, Octavian finally figured out that Cicero had been manipulating him, using him. Didn't really have any intention of letting this kid rise. And apparently Cicero had been going around the Senate telling his buddies the following in Latin, Ladanum adolescentum ornandum tolendum. Meaning, praise the young man, reward him, and then discard him. There's just one little problem. What do you think about that? Uh, I think that's kind of an idiotic thing to just start telling everyone in the Senate about. Yeah. Because yeah, as you can imagine, he's giving everyone the Death Star plan. <laughs> that's right. He's giving everybody. That's really good. He's giving everybody the Death Star plan, and the news got to Octavian, and so Decimus, Decimus, remember, was up north in in, in Mutina. We saw him last episode. Decimus sent a letter back to Rome to Cicero, warning him. He said, "Watch out, dude, because I'm here with Octavian." And Octavian is wandering around town, repeating this over and over again. Ladinum adolescentum ornandum tolendum. It's really stuck in his head, and he is not happy. Oh, this isn't the only reason why Cicero wound up on the list. Uh, Antony also really hated Cicero. Because remember, Cicero gave 14 speeches in the Senate against Antony? Yeah. Speeches? Yeah, I remember. Oh. Uh, that's how Cicero wound up on the kill list. And on December 7th of 43 BC, when he was leaving his country home outside of Rome, headed to the sea, he was going to hop on a boat and try to flee to Macedonia, where he was going to join Brutus and Cassius. Cicero was captured. And his last words were, Ego vero consisto acede veterane, et si hoc saltem potes recte facere incide servisum. Meaning, I go no further. Approach me, veteran soldier. And if you can at least do this much properly, please sever this neck. And then he bent down, showed his neck to the soldier, and he was killed. Head removed. And even worse, Antony had his hands removed, and the hands were nailed up to the doors of the Senate. Jesus Christ. How does that make he you wasn't feel? discreet. They, they weren't discreet about it at all. 
Oh, no. Yeah, the, the days of discretion are long gone. So there you have it, Mateo. We're a long way from Kansas. This is a new Rome. You know, old Rome, you didn't cut your enemy's hands off and nail them to the freaking doors of the Senate. Yeah, that's a little rude, I would say. A little rude. It's it's barbarous, right? Yeah. It's not definitely not common courtesy. No, I would agree with you. Supposedly, Octavian isn't the one that ordered the death. It was Antony that ordered the death. But he didn't stop it either. He didn't stop it. And so there's this Yeah. wave, wave of death, wave of murder, in which they were going after the, the anti-Caesarians in the Senate, in the elite classes. But there was something else going on here, which is it was about money. The triumvirs needed money. And they needed a lot of it. because they needed to raise a really big army so that they could go after the big fish. You know who the, who the big fish were? The big fish were each other. Mm. That's going to come. No, but right now they're united in one purpose, and that purpose is to take down Cassius and Brutus. So a big war is brewing, Matteo. The best or the worst, depending upon how you look at it, And that is a civil war. Another Roman. Oh. Because we haven't had enough. Yeah, we haven't had a good civil war for a while. So let's have at it. So they killed these hundreds upon hundreds of senators and knights to get revenge, but also to get cash. That's gentlemen. Isn't that great? So about a month after this happened, they're still washing the blood from the streets of Rome. On January 1st of 42, it was a special day, a very special day in Rome, because it's not every day that you make a new god. And on January 1st of 42 BC, that's exactly what happened. On that day, the Senate declared that Gaius Julius Caesar was a god. Divus Julius, Julius the god. It's not every day you make a new God. It's a special day. You think it was the gods making us, but no. No, we're making the God. And by the way, you know, what? one of our listeners made a really great point. Uh, I forget if it was on Instagram or where it was, but they basically said it's not so different from the Catholic Church making a saint, right? The Pope can make saints and the Senate could make gods. That's a little different, but I see the I see the resemblance. I think God is a lot. Yeah. God trumps Trump saint. Yeah, for sure. I think so too. But the, the process is kind of similar. Anyways, on that same day that Gaius Julius Caesar was named declared a god, Octavian began to call himself Divi Filius. Son of a god. Ooh. Where have we heard this one before? I don't know. Where have we heard that one before? A trillion times in history. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to be son of a god. As good as it is to be a god, to be a god, you need to be dead, which is sucky. Yeah. Sucky. So being son of a god But is... the son of a god comes with all the perks. Yeah. You're alive. Well, I mean... Yeah. So, not bad, little Octavian. Not bad, little man. Not bad at all. So... You have the son of a god, 
his best friend, Agrippa, and Antony. They gathered all the money they'd looted, and they gathered all the troops that they hired with the looted money, and then they sailed east for war. And so I don't get it. The Roman legions were just up for hire now? What happened yeah. to mustering the legions? This, there's no standing armies. There's just, what, mercenaries now? Yeah, that's exactly right, my dear. It's kind of crazy. It's, it's kind of, yeah. And, and and it started with your, with old man Marius, right? I guess it did. But his ideas were kind of twisted and worked. Yeah. Which, before. by the way, Marius was still like, what, like 30 years before this? Yeah, Mar no, not nah, nah, more like more like sixty. Uh, yeah, so more like sixty. Yeah, Marius was more like, yeah, probably around sixty or even a little bit more, eighty years. But yeah, remember Marius, because you're thinking about old republic. An old republic was, uh, soldier farmers, the Cincinnatus model, you know, and to serve in the legions back in the old days, you needed to own land. And Marius is the one that broke that connection. And you started getting professional soldiers, soldiers for hire, soldiers that were loyal, not to the Republic, but to the general, because the general was the one that was going to make certain they got paid if they won the battle. Right. That's that's the messed up thing. Well, it's not so different from today. No, but you know what it is? It is very different from the Rome of the Eastern Roman Empire. And we're going to see that in later episodes. There you're you such have. a fanboy. Yeah, I'm a fanboy. Yeah, you're a fanboy you have, too. You, you have a clear bias. You have a clear bias. I do not. Yes, you do. I am neutral. No, you're not. All right. Well, anyways, these guys sailed east for war, and Lepidus stayed behind. So, fast forward a few months. We're now in the autumn of 42 BC. We're very far from Rome. We are in Macedonia, which is now part of the modern Greek state. And this is the eve of the showdown between the liberators, the two last men standing, Brutus and Cassius. They're the two last like major players amongst the that group that assassinated Caesar. And the Caesareans, which is basically Antony and Octavian, which is really Antony and Agrippa, because Octavian wasn't really a commander of our stay in the tent. Yeah, Octavian actually got really sick on the trip. He had he had uh, really, he had tummy poor baby. Trouble. He had tummy trouble. And like, but really, really sick on the trip. The boat did not agree with him. And many people thought this kid is gonna die. Yeah. Uh, that's not the first time that people thought that about Octavian. It would not be the last time that people thought that about Octavian. But when they landed at Apollonia, uh remember Apollonia is where Agrippa and Octavian had been just two years before. Remember, Caesar sent them east to hang out in Apollonia with the troops. I do remember that, yeah, shortly before his demise. Correct. And so now they're sailing back to the same place that he had left two years before with one little difference. Now he's one of the three most powerful men in the world. It's funny how the world works, right? It's absolutely crazy what this kid has engineered in two years. So the Octavian's tum-tum was hurting, and he couldn't press on right away to battle. But Antony, like the bull that he is, 
pressed ahead and he started skirmishing with Brutus and Cassius outside a place called Philippi, which was a town founded by King Philip. Alexander the, the Great. Uh, yeah. His, his dad, father, yeah. So eventually Octavian and Agrippa catch up with Antony. Octavian, Mateo, talk about embarrassing. Octavian couldn't ride a horse because his tum-tum. He had to ride in a litter. A litter? Hmm? What's a litter? Like um, carried. He had to be carried in a... Oh, like, well, his uh, tummy hurt. His tummy hurt. So we, we have two armies more or less evenly matched. You have the army of the Triumvirs, which consisted of 19 legions and 12,000 cavalry. And then you had the Cassius Brutus force, which was 17 legions and about 20,000 cavalry. So they're they're outnumbered by what? You do that math. Well, 8,000 cavalry. At least. Yeah. And maybe men on the ground was about the same. So like total on either side is 80 to 100,000 men. That's a huge number, right? Massive battle. Yeah. This, this, this is the largest. It's like, wait, if a legion is 5,000, if a legion is 5,000, that must be what? Like... Yeah, that's right. 20 legions, like 20 legions on the one side. Yeah, 100,000 100, aside. 200,000 men, Roman men, facing off against each other in what would be the largest battle of all the Roman civil wars. This is twice the number of men, Mateo, that fought at Pharsalus, which was that last battle between Caesar and Pompey. Isn't that right? So, because everything got more mainstream now, it's all business, you know, yeah. with the triumvirate. It's all yeah. mainstream. Yeah, Civil War is now, by the way, will you stop going? Like, you're kind of far away from the mic. I don't want to give people a reason. To but I come that. closer when I say something. Okay. If, okay. If I would like our listeners to be able to see you right now with the shades on and the hoodie on and the headphones on, you're looking very tough. Tough. Tired. Yeah. Anyway, so Tired. this is a massive battle. But what I wanted to say to you was it's massively different than the Roman armies of Caesar and Pompey. Because at Pharsalus, you had two of the most brilliant military minds in Roman history, like facing off against each other, right? Yeah. Caesar and Pompey. And their armies were made up of seasoned professional soldiers, guys that had been on campaign after campaign after campaign, that they were brothers in battle. They 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 were like just hardcore. Loyal to death. Yeah. That's not what we're looking at here. This is a really different world. At Philippi, you had four inexperienced generals, okay? Four generals that had never really commanded troops in any meaningful fashion, including what? Antony. How did Antony not? I thought Antony, Antony not command. Antony wasn't a he was he was a field commander. He wasn't a general. He had no experience leading a hundred thousand man army. You know, mm. he was a sub commander under Caesar. Caesar, one of the greatest military geniuses of all time. But Antony himself, he was a guy that took orders. He didn't necessarily give them. And he never managed anything as complex as a 100,000-man army. Uh, Brutus, Brutus hadn't managed anything at all. He couldn't even manage his own laundry. 
He had no experience. Yeah, Brutus was a freaking jet. Yeah. And Octavian, no experience. Agrippa was getting experience. Octavian wasn't even on the field. Yeah, he was he was being carried around with the tum tum hurting. And then you had maybe the one guy that had some had a little more experience was Cassius, right? Because Cassius was the legate under uh under what's his name? Crassus. He he had he had a little more field experience. But the point is none of the none of these four guys were at Pompeii. Let alone a right. season. And the great minds of the past were gone. Isn't that crazy how things deteriorated so quickly? And their armies, you could say the same thing of the armies. They had a ton of fresh recruits. Not Caesar's seasoned Gallic, you know, legions. Yeah, nowadays it's it's all pace and power. Yeah. It's not and about the skill of the individual anymore. No, it's not. It's like sheer numbers. And the yeah. armies also had it. Uh, sorry, no one was loyal to a cause. You know, they weren't loyal to the Republic. They weren't loyal to a Caesar. They were just in it to get paid. Payday. If we win, we get paid. Sad. Everything basically becoming mainstream industry. Like, I don't know. It lost the values of the old Rome. It wasn't the old Rome anymore. Yeah. The Republic was dead. Yeah, I mean, when you think back to, think Cincinnatus, or Corvus, or Regulus, our friend Regulus, love Regulus, or Scipio, or Marius, or Sulla, or Pompey, or Caesar. These were like extraterrestrial commanders. They were just like a whole different level. And now you have amateur hour. You have four amateurs running a 200,000 man battle. It's so, like a video game. For them, yeah. But with everything at stake, right? Well, yeah. So this battle, the battle at Philippi, was actually two battles. First battle was fought on October 3rd of 42 BC. The second battle was fought on October 23rd of 42 BC. And to put this into context, Mateo, Remember, Octavian and Agrippa, they're 21 years old, okay? They're not much older than you. Right. Julius Caesar hadn't really done anything this significant since he was like 30. Absolutely. 30 or 40. No, 40, right? 40. Until he was 40. And you are how old? I am 16. Uh-huh. Going on 17? Going, uh, yeah. They're 21. Yeah. So and, they're only four years older than me. Yeah. And Anthony, but you're not the son of a god. I'm sorry. No, I'm just the son of some some random guy. Some random dude. And Anthony is 41 years old. So 20-year age gap between the two of them. And on October 3rd, Octavian and Agrippa and their armies lined up against Brutus. Anthony and his army lined up against Cassius. Brutus and Cassius started advancing on the triumvirs. And Octavian hadn't really delegated full responsibility to Agrippa yet. Like that relationship was still evolving. So Octavian was sort of in charge, but he was in a litter because he couldn't ride a horse. And he asked to be taken away from the battle for safety. Oh, no. Uh-huh. So he basically gave the reins to, to Agrippa and said, all right, good luck. He said his physician required it. 
the doctor said I can't go to school today. I mean, the Civil War. A doctor said on I the can't day of the on the day of the presentation. Yeah, exactly. It's the day of the final. The doctor said my tummy hurts and I need to go home. So, his men, his men were overwhelmed by Brutus and Brutus's troops. The casualties were very high. Mateo, he lost standards. He lost eagles to Brutus. It was a debacle. An embarrassment. Yeah. And for our listeners, if you've watched Rome's, uh, HBO's Rome series, or if you're going to watch it after listening to us, definitely watch it. It's such a great show. But the Battle of Filippi in the HBO series is completely different than what actually happened. So Octavian gets overwhelmed as he's getting carried away in, uh, in the litter. But on the other side, Antony. Antony was a thug. There was no nuance to his command, the manner in which he led the battle. He just pushed forward like a bull without a lot of coordination, but with a lot of zeal. So he's, just imagine yeah. just, bu just bullying his way through the battle. Like Achilles. Yeah, a little bit. Although Achilles had a little, a little savoir faire. He had, he had a little flair to him. I don't think yeah, Anthony had him, yeah, maybe when he was younger, but now he's just like crusty. Yeah, that may be. Ever since ever since the Cleopatra stuff, he's just been kind of like weird. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. He went weird. Went native in, in Egypt. Yeah, started off as a buckling young stud. Yeah. Everyone in Rome loved him. He was the hot shot Anthony. Yeah. And now he's just like a bum. It was like Cleopatra was like kryptonite, no? She was just Yeah. She nerfed him. What did, what do you mean nerf? Like uh he was like when you nerf something, it's like when you it's something really good and then you bring down its qualities. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah, not she debunked him basically. She did something to him. At any rate, Anthony just kind of pushed forward. He managed to break into Cassius's camp. He started seizing all of the good stuff in the camp, and Cassius thought that it was over. Like, this is really weird because I had this different vision of, of Cassius. The Cassius was this kind of tough guy, thinking man's commander. Uh, he was the one that told Crassus that you're a dummy. We shouldn't be doing this. But Cassius panicked. Antony's in his camp. His troops, his lines are being overrun. And Cassius panicked. So what did he do? What do you think he did? Fled? He asked one of his men to kill him. Wow. Yeah, he jumped the gun just a little bit. He panicked. Yeah, slightly. And said, I don't want to be captured. Please kill me. Yeah. So anyways, uh, Cassius is dead. Brutus and his side loses. Cassius' side loses. Brutus versus Octavian sort of wins. And so on that day, that horrendous day of December 3rd of 42 BC, it was it was kind of a draw, right, between the, the triumvirs and between the liberators, but nobody came out looking good. Nobody looked like a hero. And Brutus slipped into a depression after he learned about the death of his best friend and his brother-in-law, which is Cassius. I forgot about that. Brutus and Cassius were brothers-in-law. So Brutus tried to take control of Cassius's army as well, but they weren't loyal to him. 
And Brutus had no experience leading troops in battle. Brutus was nothing. He was just kind of a spoiled rich kid. Right. And things weren't looking good for him. Days passed. Then weeks passed. And then on October 23rd, a second final battle was fought. Uh, and Octavian was more engaged in this one. Uh, not especially effective, <clears throat> but he was engaged. Antony took the lead. Brutus's troops were routed. And inspired by Cato and inspired by his friend Cassius, Brutus took his own life. You have to feel for the guy. Why is that? I mean, he betrayed his mentor figure uh, by killing him. That slowly, one by one, all of his friends started dying. They were all getting picked off. And then two days before his death, his best friend committed suicide. The next two days, I don't know, he must have been like knowing all was lost. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I, I see your empathy. And I understand it. But that's it. Many of the nobles that had fought under Brutus turned themselves over to Antony and said, yeah, we're, we're joining. We're going to join the winning side. And Antony, taking a page out of uh, Caesar's playbook, accepted them. And but but these guys no, note what I just said. They joined Antony. They didn't join Octavian. Yeah, Octavian was a little schmuck. He was a young punk. He had no experience. And by the way, Octavian got really sick again. After the battle. Yeah, so he was a sick young punk. He was a sick young punk. And he was going to return to Italy, like his job. He and Antony decided Octavian was going to return to Italy, make certain that all the veterans, their veterans, were properly taken care of. Uh, and Antony was going to stay in the East and milk it for all the money he possibly could. They also agreed, Antony and Octavian agreed, that they couldn't trust Lepidus, right? Like they had this guy, uh, Lepidus, something about him. Don't really trust him. He wasn't here fighting, for example. Who knows what he's doing back there in, in, uh, in the West? So they looked at the map and they carved up all of the territories of the Roman Empire between the two of them. And including Lepidus's territories. Don't we do that with all of our buddies? Yeah, exactly. Let's sit down and carve up the empire. And that other dude? Eh, not so much. Yeah, screw that guy. Poor Lepidus. I mean, how much do we know about that guy? Like, what was he doing at this time? Well... We're going to see more of Lepidus in a second. It's a good question. So eventually, Octavian does recover, and he manages to get on a boat. His tum-tum allows him to get on a boat. He returns to Italy. Agrippa's definitely with him, but as we've said throughout these episodes of Octavian, Agrippa doesn't appear in the histories very infrequently, and it was probably by design. And I, I will say on the subject of Agrippa, it feels like Octavian hasn't let Agrippa off the leash yet. You know what I mean? Right. I don't think Octavian's admitted to himself the truth, which is, I really shouldn't be commanding troops, but Agrippa is really good. But we know it's Yeah, coming. but he, he does that for the prestige. But we know it's coming. We do. 
We know it's coming. But Octavian is learning, right? He's learning, he's learning about his strengths and he's learning about his limits. And he will never again in his life make the mistakes of Felipe. And by the way, late in later years, or actually in his will, he released a letter with his will. And in that letter, this is how he describes what he did at Felipe. This is good. You're going to like this. I sent into exile the murderers of my father, punishing their crimes with lawful tribunals. And afterwards, when they made war upon the Republic, I twice defeated them in battle. Hi. What do you think about that? Well, he's maybe, he's using the word I very heavily. Yes, it's I. I noticed that too. And the other thing is he doesn't name his enemies. He never names them. It's like he expunges their names from history. They're anonymous. Which is a brilliant move. Genius move. Because if you name them, you know they're going to go down in history. You're recording it for posterity. He just kind of expunges them from the historical record. They're non-entities. Hmm. So before Octavian had gone to Filippi to fight this pivotal battle of the Civil War, he had been married. Didn't talk about that. Pretty young. Octavian? Yeah, 21 years old. He got married. The question well, is, that's, to who? That's what I was wondering. Well, he got married to the daughter of Fulvia. Remember Fulvia? Was that, no? What? Huh? Well. I don't remember this. Currently married to Antony. Previously married to one of your favorite troublemakers in the history of Rome. Oh, what was his name again? Clodius. The troll. Yeah, Clodius. No way, really? She's still around? Yeah, she's still around. How old is yeah. she now? Yeah, yeah. Well, she's probably in her 40s, probably Antony's age. So to cement this relationship between Octavian and Antony, it was a political marriage, and Octavian marries Fulvia's daughter. But when he got back to Rome, this is like, what, six months later? Octavian asked for a divorce. <laughs> Why? And Fulvia was not happy. Well, it was a political marriage. There was no real love there. And I think, you know, the, the Romans of this upper class, of this era, just used marriage as a political tool. There, there really wasn't much more to it. And so Pompey, who fell madly in love with Julia, the daughter of uh, Julius Caesar, he was the exception to the rule. Most people didn't really love. And the idea of marrying for love was a foreign one. And, and it was kind of girly and it was looked down upon. So Octavian gets back to Rome and he asks for a divorce. And Fulvia is not a happy camper. You're divorcing my daughter? You? My daughter. And so she decided to start a, a tiny little war against Octavian. Oh, a real war is a campaign. No, I mean a real a war. And she enlisted the help of Mark Antony's brother, uh, uh, Lucius Antonius. Remember, we talked about this guy before. So, actual troops. And Octavian raised troops himself and 
pursued these guys into the countryside outside Rome, and he wound up encircling them at a town called Perusia, which is today Perugia. And this is uh, Octavian. He was a young guy and he was in take no prisoners mode. So he had Fulvia exiled. He did spare Lucius and he had 300 senators. Listen to this. Listen to this. 300 senators that were allied with Lucius and Fulvia. He had them murdered. Jesus. 300 is like almost a third of the senate it's yeah 100% it's like a third of the senate he had a third of the senate killed 21 year old guy take no prisoners attitude he's super calculated though yeah you know in certain aspects maybe he lacked he's also probably so intelligent that he lacks a little bit of humanity maybe maybe and he had none of caesar's remember caesar had this like Midas, touch. he had this deft touch with people. He would defeat his enemies and then he would embrace his enemies. Now, at the end of the day, he wound up getting killed by those guys. So, and, and I think that's probably the point, which is Octavian. He's learning from his mistakes. Yeah. Octavian is learning from his father's mistakes, his adopted father's mistakes. And Octavian's approach is basically you're either with me. Or you're against me. And if you're against me, I'm going to kill you. It actually reminds me of a speech from Batman. Which? Uh, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. Mm. And Julius Caesar died a hero. Like he was a hero, but he was eventually betrayed. And then, in like, some like some ways Octavian's like seeing himself become a villain. Yeah. Octavian oh, no. observed with very clear eyes. You know, he, he wanted to take the, the same path in the same way that Caesar wanted to take Sulla's path, but criticized Sulla for having given up ultimate power. It's like all these guys, these strong men, were learning from each other watching the mistakes of their predecessor, determined not to repeat them. So while uh, yeah, I mean, is wiping out a third of the Senate, Antony is making his way to Egypt, carrying on a mega affair with Cleopatra. He just got weird. He's like, he's kind of like DiCaprio, you know? How's that? Like when he was young and when he was young and handsome, he, he was like the best actor. And then when he got kind of fat, <laughs> <laughs> like people stopped liking him as much. Yeah. Anthony as DiCaprio. That's interesting. Like the fall off. There was a big fall off after yeah, his young years. Fall off, for sure. And so he's there having an affair. Cleopatra. She must have been some woman. She seduced. Did she seduce? She was seduced by? I think she was calculating. She had to be because her life and the life of her kingdom depended upon the Roman strong. Right. She was constantly in threat because her son was a dispute to, to Augustus's claim. That is true. And there would be more because she had three kids with Antony. 
Plus you had, as you said, Caesarian was hanging around. It's like, uh, it's like the Partridge family, but you don't know the Partridge family. It's like, I know it was a weird smorgasbord. Imagine Antony and Cleopatra having dinner with Caesarian and their three children they had together. It, like, it's a, It was like the red. It was like the red and white roses in England. The from Lancasters the point. and the Yeah. yeah, the other roses. That's an interesting analogy. You know more about that stuff than I do. So we have Antony in the East consolidating power. But it's okay, right? Antony and Octavian, they sort of had an agreement. But there's sort of, I mean, they're formally allies, but there's definitely tension there. There's always been tension there. And now Right. Lepidus is, is a little bit out of the picture. I mean, he has some territory, but he's definitely not as powerful as these two. And it, it's a little bit like, do you remember in the first triumvirate when Crassus died? Tension started growing between Caesar and Pompey. And you knew that a, a clash was inevitable because you didn't have that third moderating influence. Right. That's, that's a little bit what was happening here with these guys. There was no mutual respect. And where you have no mutual respect, conflict is inevitable. So they started maneuvering. And in fact, and I didn't, we didn't talk about this in Agrippa's episode, Octavian secured a temporary alliance with the only other strong man out there. Right? Because now that Cassius and, and, uh, and Brutus are gone, like if you want a counterweight to Antony, who do you go to? A guy named Sextus Pompeius. So we've mentioned this guy a couple times. He was Pompey Magnus's, Pompey the Great's youngest son. Yeah, but I thought he was nothing special. I don't think we did him justice in the prior episodes. I actually think he was kind of special. He was just a few years older than Octavian. He was born in 67. Octavian was born in 63. He was really young when his dad died. 19, in fact. And he was actually a pretty remarkable guy. We described him as a, eh, as a non-entity. I don't think that was fair. I think Sextus Pompeius was actually impressive in his own right. Somehow he managed to survive Caesar's civil war. You know? He survived the collapse of his of his father's his power. family Yeah, of his family. You're all right. his brothers Yeah. He rebuilt his own power base. He showed real grit. Like, not easy. right especially when your name is in caesar Yes, especially when your name isn't Caesar. so in many ways he had it harder than octavian Yeah. actually he had it much harder than octavian And and he remarried. So so Octavian went to Sextus Pompeius and said, Hey, let's let's we might not be friends, but we have common interests. And Octavian, so when I just said Octavian divorced Fulvia's daughter, well he divorced Right. her to marry the Pompeius. So Sextus Pompeius's father in law. married his daughter so so he sorry he married sextus pompeius's sister-in-law So...
He's he's like reuniting these two houses that were once allies. Yeah, right. So he he went from breaking the connection with Antony through marriage, forming a connection with Sextus Pompeius through marriage. And by the way, that young lady's name was Scribonia. Charming Scribonia. Name. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So the, he's he's making his intentions very clear. Yeah. He yes, he's making his intentions very clear. Yeah, telegraphing it to the world. So we are now in a let, let's call Rome what it is. We've been we've been beating around the bush. We've been flirting with this idea. It is a warlord world. We keep talking about a Roman Empire. It's not really a Roman Empire. It's a it's a what do you call it? It's 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 a the empire's been carved up and it's in the hands of warlords. Sengoku Jidai. What's that? Just like in, in the warring states period in China and Japan. Oh. It's just a bunch of independent warlords fighting each other. That's what it is. Because we have Antony in the East, warlord. We have Octavian in the West, warlord. We have Sextus Pompeius controlling the sea with his fleet, his pirate fleet. And then you have Lepidus in Africa. Every man that controlled an army had carved out his little bit of Rome. And the Senate could do nothing to stop it. But they were the four main players, right? There was probably other ones as well. There probably were. These were the four biggies. And if you go to our website, www.lostromanheroes.com, you'll find a great map that I found on, uh, on Wikipedia, which shows the territories that belong to each individual warlord so can you, can you zoom in because i can't see yeah I, I can try to i can try to i can't i tried right, it's fine. i tried it's fine it, 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 it it's up on our website and you can take a peek at it so you basically had lepidus who was controlling sort of north africa and antony has both gaul as well as the east uh octavian has Italy, basically, and nothing else. And then you have the islands in the Mediterranean that are controlled by Sextus Pompeius. So it's official. Antony learns about this, you know, the end of this marriage connection with Octavian. And he said, you know what? We're not friends anymore. And he sailed back to Italy. He knew he had a problem with Octavian. He landed at Brundisium. He was ready for a fight. And remember, we talked about this in Agrippa's episode. Agrippa took troops, marched south, engaged Antony in battle, won several small skirmishes. But there was a problem because on either side of the battle, you had Caesar's old troops, the brothers, and they didn't want to fight each other. So Agrippa was able to negotiate a peace with Antony. And that's when Antony gave up. Uh, remember Rufus, one of the friends of Octavian, uh, Antony told Agrippa, that dude is a traitor. He wanted to come fight on my side. And they reestablished the triumvirate again. Like, okay, let's not fight. Let's just carve up the empire and be friends. So Antony right. took the east. Lepidus took Africa. Octavian took the west. And Italy was free territory. Nobody controls Italy. Italy is neutral ground. Right. That was yeah. that was noble of them. Yeah, right? Super noble. And yeah. Around that time, Fulvia uh, died. 
So it was a little easier to make peace. And to seal the deal, this is just crazy. The way marriage is just, it's just a tool. To seal the deal, Octavian gave his sister, Octavia, in marriage to Antony. So that's a good asset. They were, it's sad to see that women were used as like trading pieces or bargaining tools. Pawns. Yeah. Women were pawns on the board. And at the same time, Octavian divorced Scribonia. Again, the kid's 21 years old, three marriages already. But it gets worse. This is going to blow your mind. You ready for it? Yeah. The timing of the divorce? Octavian divorced Scribonia on the day that Scribonia gave birth to the only child Octavian would ever have. Julia. Of course, it's a girl, too. What, what do you think? How come he only had... I still don't understand why he only had one child, though. I don't know either. I don't know if it was a him problem or... I don't know. But he divorced his wife. I'm going to repeat this. The day that she gave birth. So was she not legitimized? No, no. She was legit. Because child born. Thank you so much for the child. I divorce you. It's like a, on the... A little timer on the oven. Ding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Yeah. And then he turned around and married a woman named Livia Drusilla. Uh, and he married this woman. Again, everything was calculated. She was from the family of the Claudii, one of the big respected ancient lines with a history going back to the dawn of Rome. She was smart as a whip. She was probably very attractive. Maybe there was mutual attraction. But as you just said, 25 years old, he's on his third marriage. But this one is going to last. They would be married for 50 years. Five, zero. Jeez. So maybe this third marriage was for real. For reals. Maybe there was genuine respect and affection there. But you know, as you were saying... We made fun of Pompey for having so many wives and, and so many of these guys have so many wives, but there's nothing funny about it. There's really nothing funny about it. Being a wife in ancient Rome sucked eggs. You know, marriages were political, not love matches. Poor women. Right. Especially the women that got divorced the day they gave birth. I mean, just imagine what the rest of that woman's life was. But remember, so I just said uh, Octavian divorced Scribonia. Scribonia was his link to Sextus Pompeius. Sextus Pompeius was not happy. Not happy at all. It, it, around this time, Sextus Pompeius had started calling himself Neptuni Filius, son of Neptune, because he had a huge fleet of ships. And he pretty much controlled the Mediterranean. He controlled Mare Nostrum. And so he decided to get back at Octavian. What did he do? He blockaded Italy so that no grain could reach Italy. You couldn't feed the million hungry mouths in the city of Rome. At first, Octavian tried to kind of buy him off saying, buddy, 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 sorry about Scribonia. 
How about if I give you control of Sicily, Sardinia, Corsica, and the Peloponnese? Uh, and, and plus, in a couple of years, you can be consul. How about that? That make you happy? Consul? Are you asking me? I don't know. I'm I'm checking to see if you're listening. Oh, consulship nowadays was like a participation award. It wasn't anything real. Hmm. Well, in any event, Sextus is never going to get there. So he, he opened up the blockade of Italy. And remember, we saw this in Agrippa's episode. Octavian first tried to take on Sextus militarily. Right. Himself. I do remember this. And he was crushed, right? Yeah. And then he had to call in Big Daddy Agrippa. He called him Big Daddy, yeah. And, and remember, Agrippa was up in Cisalpine Gaul. He was the governor of Cisalpine Gaul. And Octavian said, Agrippa, clean up my mess. Like you would do so many times. And Agrippa first built a secret harbor by connecting a lake to the sea. Then he built we a... talk about this. Yeah, we did. He built a brand new fleet inside the secret harbor. He pioneered new technology, that grappling hook that could be fired like a ballista. And on September 3rd of 36 BC, Agrippa whopped or whooped Sextus, whooped him at the Battle of Nalocus in Sicily. And that was the end of Neptune's son. Sextus was left with six or seven boats. He fled east. And uh, that would eventually be destroyed by, by Antony. But Agrippa, man, what would Octavian have done without Agrippa? We can only speculate. Yeah. So Octavian, and by the way, Lepidus is there as well. They accepted the surrender of Sextus's remaining troops. And Lepidus tried to take control of Sicily as his personal domain. He made a power move on, on little Octavian. But there's just one tiny little problem. Lepidus's troops deserted him. <laughs> they went what? over to Octavian. Yeah. All of them? Yeah, they went over to Octavian slash Agrippa, right? They were just tired of civil oh. war. Uh, and, and that's when Lepidus got officially booted out of the triumvirate exiled to his country estate. They let him keep his pontifex maximus role, so head priest, but that was it. He was done, and the world is now officially ruled by two people. Those, All those warlords were down to two warlords. So he lost out on all of Africa because he was greedy, basically. Yes, yes, yes. It was probably just a question of time. So you have Octavian, warlord in the West. You have... Cleopatra's lover, a.k.a. Antony, warlord in the east, and Mr. Agrippa in the shadows, doing everything for Octavian. So, meanwhile, in the east, when Antony isn't busy making babies with Cleopatra, sorry, it's a little graphic, but that's what was going down. Yeah. He was dreaming Caesar's dream. Do you remember what Caesar's dream was around the time that he was murdered? He had a dream, an ambition. Oh, to invade Persia. Yeah. To avenge.
to Crassus. avenge. Yeah, to avenge Crassus. So that's we all remember Carhai. That's where Crassus went down in flames, or where he was forced to drink liquid gold after he was already killed. That's wow. It's an odd way to go. No, that's a horrible way to go. Are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> Jesus. I would agree. So when Caesar was murdered, he was days away from sailing east and starting his campaign against the, against the Parthians to punish them for what they did to Crassus and to recover the eagles, to recover the military standards. So Antony decided he was going to pick up the baton of his old boss, Caesar, and he would punish the Parthians. But there's just one little problem, Matteo, one tiny little problem. What do you think that is? Testing you. Testing you. Uh, no one liked him? Antony was not Caesar. Yeah, it wasn't so much. Yeah, they certainly didn't like him as much like Caesar, but he was not Caesar the commander. However, he raised a 100,000-man army. Jeez. And in 37 BC, he started marching to invade Parthia. AKA Persia. So first he first he went through Armenia. He didn't make Crassus's mistake, didn't go due south through Syria across the Euphrates into the desert. Instead, he went up into the mountains through Armenia. He subdued Armenia that had gone over to the Parthian side after Crassus, Crassus was killed. And then he marched south over the mountains into Parthia. And the Parthians, man, they were smart. They did the old Parthian rope-a-dope. Or hit you and run? Yeah, don't engage. Just lure them on and lure them on and lure them on. And Anthony marched deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into Parthian territory. His supply lines grew longer and longer and longer and longer. And then in August of 36 BC, the Parthians did not attack the main body of the army. They attacked the supply lines. And they wiped out that so many. Huh? That's a mistake that so many generals would fall for. Yeah. Napoleon. Okay, remember this when we talk about Heraclius. And I know you say I'm a fanboy and blah, 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 blah. You're uh, yeah. blah, blah, blah. No, just don't do that. Just listen to me. All okay. right. Remember this. Remember this. Okay. So they attack the supply lines, they wipe out the two legions that were guarding the supply lines. And now Antony has probably 80,000, no, two legions, that's 10,000 men. So he has 90,000 men sitting in the middle of Persia with no way to feed them. So what did he do? Didn't have a choice. Gave up, went home. Yeah, because the men, you can imagine, their morale wasn't so great at this point. At least he knew when to pull out. Yeah. But it was humiliating. The men didn't want any more. It was either retreat or we mutiny and kill you. So that's Antony. When you see Antony in the field really in charge of an army, it's not so impressive. So he's more of a small force type of commander. I think so. Yeah, he's I think he's uh probably great in hand-to-hand -hand combat, like like personally courageous and, and strong, uh, but that doesn't necessarily make a great commander. So 
he goes home to Alexandria. And what is what do you do after being humiliated in Parthia? What do you do? You have a triumph. What? What? It seems like backwards logic. What? Yeah, you spin the story. Uh, but there are a couple of problems with that. One, he really lost. Two, triumphs happen in Rome. Oh, Anthony's gone native. Native, he's gone. You don't celebrate triumphs in Alexandria. That's that's sacrilege. Yeah, complete sacrilege. And more sacrilege is coming because at the end of the triumph, Antony stood up at the lectern and he gave a little speech. He said a few important things. Number one, my truce with Octavian is over. I hate that guy. It's over. And number two, he said, you know what, this Rome thing, this whole eastern part of the Roman Empire, I'm going to carve this thing up as I see fit. And he split up the Roman East between Cleopatra, Caesarion, Caesar's kid, and his kids. Everybody got a little piece of Rome. And this is known in history as the Donations of Alexandria. This is completely sacrilegious. He's giving away Roman territory to Egyptian scum. Yeah. This guy was a heretic now. Yeah. You nailed it. Like, what do you think the Senate thinks when they look at this? Maybe there was some sympathy for Anthony Anthony before. What about now? I think there's there's none. Yeah, for sure there's none. And so if you go to our website, uh, com, you'll see another map, which is pretty cool, uh, which is... Uh, it's basically, it shows how he divvied up the territory between Cleopatra's kids and and uh, and Cleopatra's original kingdom. It is basically, the entire Roman East went bye-bye. And so it's war for sure now. Like, it's, it's, it is war to the death. He's thrown down the gauntlet. And that gauntlet, well, we know where they met, right? They met at Actium. We, just, we covered it in Agrippa's episode. But in a nutshell... Because Agrippa's episode had such bad sound quality. I'm sorry to our listeners. Let me just summarize it really quickly. So the forces of Octavian were now completely led, expertly led by Agrippa. So we say Octavian defeated Antony. It wasn't Octavian. Agrippa would defeat Antony. Agrippa met the combined forces of Antony and Cleopatra in Greece at a place called Actium on September 2nd of 31 BC. So... 31 BC, Octavian and Agrippa were born in 63, so they're 32 years old now. And it was a combined land and sea battle, but the main action was at sea. Octavian, he was hanging out in a camp on land because, guess why? Why? His tum -tum, he felt sick? His tum-tum hurt again. Mm. Yeah. Uh, his tum-tum always hurting in the big battles. Poor yeah. guy. I like He's like, I really want to go, man. I really want to go, but my stomach's just killing me. <laughs> I got to stay close to the bathroom. You understand though, right? Agrippa, you understand? <laughs> yeah. Even in Next Octavian time, bro. Days, Next time. 
people made fun of him, even contemporaries made fun of him for this. He was always missing. Agrippa commanded the fleet. Agrippa commanded the fleet at sea. Agrippa didn't command the fleet from a mountaintop. He was on the ships with the men. Cleopatra, at the first opportunity, fled. And Antony was crushed because Antony was also commanding the fleet. He was outmaneuvered, outthought, outbattled by young Agrippa. And he also fled to Alexandria to join Cleopatra. Not only was, okay, not only was Antony humiliated, because he was humiliated, he lost badly. Not only did he lose badly, but he ran away. Caesar would never run away. No forgiveness. The guy just became a weirdo. Very un-Roman. Yeah. Very un-Roman. Even in this era of a deteriorated Rome, where the old Republican virtues are out the window, there were some things that were still, you just still didn't do. You don't run away. You die with honor if you have to. So whatever support this guy had in the Senate was, was now out the window. Not only had he gone native. Oh, by the way, remember, he's still married to Octavian's sister. Sort of technically. He's still married to Octavia. So he's having an affair with Cleopatra, carving up the Roman East, giving it to her kids. Still married to Octavian wife, uh, Octavian's sister. And now he was a coward, branded a coward. Agrippa and Octavian pursued Antony Cleopatra to Egypt. They met again in battle on August 1st of 30 BC at Alexandria. Antony was defeated um, and he literally fell on his sword. He's, he's like, yeah, he's, th that's it. I'm going to try to salvage my honor and I'm going to fall on my sword. He didn't die right away. Legend says he was carried to Cleopatra and died in her lap. Um, Agrippa would capture her shortly thereafter. Um, and she killed herself not long after that because she didn't want to be paraded in Octavian's triumph in Rome. You know, it's funny that for guys with such low morals and like such little honor, they sure do have a problem with being turned in alive. Yeah. Like, they're like slimy guys. They're like weasels, you know? Yeah. Like backstabbing, but like, oh no, they'd rather kill themselves than be taken in. Yeah. I would choose life. Me too. Especially if I had shown tendencies to be a little weasel. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, by the way, Octavian, interesting. He killed Antony's oldest child, but he let the rest live. And he also killed Caesarion. And he killed Caesarion, supposedly saying, who knows if it's true, but I love what he said, according to legend, two Caesars is one Caesar too many. Wait, why did he just kill everyone afterwards? Why did he kill everyone? Oh, that was, oh, never mind. Yeah, he, he didn't kill everyone. That's a, that's a badass line. Yeah, it is. It is a bad-ass line. That's like Hollywood script. doesn't get better than that. So, we started out this episode with how many warlords? Four, five, six? Something like that. Now we got one. 
he finally did it. And that one is 33 years old. Mr. Octavian. He's Skinny 33? Huh? Yeah, he's 33 now. Oh, geez. We just time skipped a lot. Yeah. Yeah, this, this took 12 years, but he's there at 33. Skinny neck, bad tummy, is now the most powerful man in Rome. Probably the most powerful man on the face of the planet. I mean, he would eventually become the most powerful man in history, probably. Probably. Here's an interesting little fact for you. Do you know who else was 33 years old at the pinnacle of power? Who? Alexander the Great. He wouldn't have quite the demise of Alexander the Great. But he also had bad tummy issues. Alexander the Great did? Yeah. Hmm. Now, sure. big differences between the two of them, right? Alexander yeah, the Great massive. ruled, conquered territories. And upon his death, things disintegrated pretty quickly. It wasn't a well-organized empire. This 33-year-old, Octavian, is set up to rule the world's most well-organized nation, certainly to date, and perhaps in all of history. Now, we know what comes next, right? And we're going to see it in the next episode. Octavian is going to turn himself into a guy named Augustus. And the Republic, which doesn't really exist anymore, is going to turn into the Principate. The question right. is, how in the world is Octavian going to pull this off? Well, it's just like a software update for him. <laughs> like a software update? Yeah. I mean, who's going who's gonna to get in his way now? Caesar thought the same thing, and he wound up getting stabbed to death in the theater of Pompeii. So how does this well, guy true. thread the needle? Make himself emperor. But you know what? It's more subtle than that. And you're going to have to turn in next week to find out. But in the meantime, in the meantime, this is how Octavian summed up his achievements up to this moment in his life. Like this is how he described what he did between the time that Caesar died to the age of 33. And this was written down in a letter that he released after he died. That letter, and you can read it, is known as the Res Gestae Divi Augusti, the deeds of the divine Augustus. This is what he said. At the age of 19, on my own initiative and my own expense, I raised an army by means of which I restored liberty to the Republic, which had been oppressed by the tyranny of a faction, for which service the Senate, with complementary resolutions, enrolled me in its order, in the consulship of Gaius Pansa and Aulus Hirtius, giving me at the same time consular precedence in voting. It also gave me the Imperium. As proprietor as praetor, pardon me, propraetor, it ordered me, along with the consuls, to see that the Republic suffered no harm. In the same year, moreover, as both consuls had fallen in war, the people elected me consul and a triumvir for settling the constitution. Those who slew my father I drove into exile, punishing their deed by due process of law, and afterwards, when, the way, when they waged war upon the Republic, I twice defeated them in battle. That yeah. is Octavian. Huh? Those are Octavian's own words. 
He's not playing any games. Yeah, he didn't mention his, his enemies at all, like you said. No. The tyranny of a faction. That's some serious Jedi stuff, you know? That is, yeah. That's like Obi-Wan Kenobi pulling into, uh, you know, talking to the to the stormtroopers, and there's nothing to see here. Octavian just yeah. painted his own history. Can't argue with success. No. So this is how I imagined, uh, if you go to our website, www.lostgermanheroes.com, you know, every episode we look, we create an image in ChatGPT to try to capture the moment. And Mateo, this is the image that I created in ChatGPT of Octavian and Agrippa returning to Rome at the age of 33 years old after achieving the absolute pinnacle of power. What do you think? I think it's perfect. I mean... You see, obviously, a grip on the left with the spear and the helmet, and Octavian on the right with the with the laurel wraith and the white horse. You know, you could argue that without, I mean, without obviously, like without a grip, but there's no Octavian. I couldn't agree with you more. I think he's one of the most underrated heroes, one of the most underrated, remarkable people in history, because he's not known. Because he didn't want to be known. He was fine with it. Yeah. He wanted his best friend to shine. He was happy to be in the shadows, doing hard work, achieving things of real substance. Love a grip. Right. At any rate, please go to our website, www.lostromanheroes.com. Check out the list of heroes. If you have a, ideas for any heroes, please email us at info at lostromanheroes.com. Please leave us reviews. We really need them. We got a couple of new ones this week. So great to see. And it really helps us get good placement on Apple, uh, iTunes, uh, podcasts. Uh, when people search for history, if we have more reviews, we show up higher on the list. We have new countries uh, this week, South Korea the Philippines and Peru are all, we have new listeners in those countries, which is incredible to see. Welcome to the family of Lost Roman Heroes. Oh, Mateo, Serbia is still in our top five countries, which is so cool. Serbia is a great country. Yeah, it really is. And we have a new review. This one showed up on a service called Podbean. And I wanted you to read it, but I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can see it. The text might be too small for you. Can you read that? I can. Will you read it? Don't read the name of the person that left it. Just. I wasn't going to. Okay. I was listening with my wife as she walked away. Her comments are, Matthew says Mateo too much. I didn't notice until she said something. You used his name 17 times in the first 15 minutes. Now that's all I hear. Thanks, wife. And why do I listen when it sounds like Mateo would rather be licking licking a skunk's than doing the podcast? There are definitely days that he sounds bored. Do with that what you will. I'm still listening. Licking a oh. skunk. I couldn't even read that for a second. Licking a skunk. I thought that really just nailed it. <laughs> there, are yeah. many, there are moments where you sound like you would rather be licking a skunk. I'm sorry. I don't try to. I try to sound engaged. 
there are, I think you've gotten more engaged over time and that's great. And I'm trying really hard to say your name less because I don't want to annoy people with that. It's like, uh, I don't know, but I'm, I'm making an effort. You're making an effort. Hopefully our listeners feel it. And I would simply like to say thank you to all of them, to everybody that tunes in. We just passed. I mentioned this to you at the beginning of the episode, Mateo, or before the episode, we just passed 10,000 downloads. Woohoo! I never thought we'd come this far. How do you feel about it? Well, I'm proud. I'm, I'm grateful. Yeah, I am too. I'm proud and grateful. So thank you to our listeners. Email us, please, or reach out to us on Instagram or on Twitter with a direct message. We would love to hear from you. And please tune in for next week, the grand finale of Octavian, Octavian Part 4, which will be episode number 30, three zero. And remember, once we finish Octavian, we're going to have a special episode for our listeners, something that Mateo has been dying to do <laughs> since we started this, and me too, which is a review of all the heroes that we have covered the Roman Republic. We'll do one episode with a little review of their histories, every single one of them, and we'll talk again about the ranking and maybe we'll make some little adjustments. But that's it for today. Mateo, do you have anything else to say? Oh, well, I'm happy that we're doing this. I'm happy to continue doing this. Octavian is an amazing figure and I'm glad we're finally gonna finish his, his story. Me too. So to our listeners, Thank you so very much for tuning in, and we can't wait to talk to you again next week.